My name is Jacqueline Snape, and I'm the executive pastor here at New Life Fellowship Church, and I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us this morning. Our lead pastor, Rich Velotis, is out of town this weekend, um, so please keep him in your prayers. Um, We have uh, a couple of different scenarios that I just want to recognize this morning and just bring um, just normalcy to. Um, First, there's a group of you out here that this is how you interact with us every Sunday. You are used to watching live stream New Life Fellowship. Um, You may not live in the city. You may live in a different part of the city. Maybe your work schedule doesn't allow you to be here. Um, Or you come from another country and you watch us there. Um, And so thank you for joining us. We appreciate that. Um, And we also have another group. We have a group of folks that are used to coming in these doors, sometimes for the past five years, some the past 10, some the past 20 years. And they've been coming here to have service and have worship on a routine basis. And for some of those folks, this is disorienting. And we do want to recognize that. We want to appreciate that. We thank you. Hang in there. Um, We're going to get through this together. But we do want to recognize and normalize that awkwardness. And then the third group, the third group of folks, there are some people out there that we know, as Pastor Matt said, there are some that are facing illness. And so we want to recognize that it may not be as a result of this virus at all. You could just simply be not well right now. And so we do keep you in our prayers, and we thank you also, and pray that this service will be a blessing to you as you watch today. So we're continuing our, serve, uh, our series on humility. Um, we've been talking about this for the past few weeks, and last week, Pastor Rich took us through the life of John the Baptist. And each week when we go through this series, there's a humble declaration. And so last week, the declaration was, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. And so this week, we're going to go back a little bit further. We're going to start at the beginning. We'll go into the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And so please follow along on the screen, or you may take out your Bible and turn to Genesis 3, verses 7 through 10. That's Genesis 3, verses 7 through 10. And here's the reading of God's word. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. Um, We thank you for the gift of technology to knit us together as one community. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak through our ears, that you would help us to hold on to each other, your word for us today, and what your hope and desire is for us in the future. So we bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So September 11, 2001 started as a beautiful day. I remember that it was sunny. Um, I believe the temperature was pretty mild. We have three children, and so our two oldest sons were in school that day. 
and I was home with my daughter. She was two years old. And I don't know what I was thinking about um, as a stay-at-home parent. You know, the thoughts that you're thinking. You're thinking about dinner. Maybe I was thinking about the bills that we have to pay. Perhaps I was thinking about doing laundry for the week. But I know that we were watching Sesame Street. It was 9 a.m. And I remember um, in the midst of Oscar the Grouch and the Cookie Monster and all the fun stories and the kids running and laughing, um, this moment where the screen just opened up before me and I saw the words emergency, response, message, something like that. I just remember emergency. And I thought to myself, this is really bad because I'm watching Sesame Street. Why would they interrupt unless it was really, really bad? And as we all know, that was the beginning of a nightmare for all of us. Tragedy had occurred, our nation was in turmoil, and all that we held dear, our sense of community, our sense of safety, our sense of normalcy, in the blink of an eye, it was all gone. And we were immersed in disaster and tragedy and fear for days, months, and even years to come. And even as I talk about this day, I'm reminded that some of you right now, you had many losses during that time. And it still is hurtful, it's still painful. And it's still a day that when it comes around every year, you're reminded, and grief follows. And that's normal. And when I think about the level of disruption to humanity, the level of just, just, just torture and just leveling of hopes and wishes and dreams and future, I think about the story of Genesis. And I believe that there's something in that for us because the story of Genesis is not just a mild telling of the lives of Adam and Eve. I believe that it's meant to be a jarring, unsettling, even terrifying look at what can happen as a consequence of our wrong choices and our sin. And it becomes another example of how all of our sense of community and humanity and safety is just destroyed by one or two actions. You know, Adam and Eve, it's remarkable, the lives they lived. Everything they could want, everything any of us could want was right there before them. They had food to eat. They had a beautiful garden made in a newly created world that God had just planted them in. They had each other. They had the union of each other. Anything they could want was right there and it was provided for them. And the most important thing is they had communion. They had communion with God. A daily basis of hearing him seeing him, hearing his footsteps. And I think this is the perfect story to tell during Lent because it reminds us of the brokenness of humanity. It reminds us of our own brokenness. It reminds us of what our tendencies are and where our weaknesses are. 
Genesis is a mixture of poetry, it's a mixture of allegory, it's a mixture of history. It just has this fascinating attraction. And if we look at it, I believe there are many lessons for us today. Let's take a look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Now, remember this. Just think about this. They actually were close enough to the Lord God that they could hear his footsteps. Just, just sit with that for a moment. They were close enough to him that they could hear his footsteps. Can you imagine the glory? But even... Even in the midst of that, this is the interesting point. Adam and Eve were still, still susceptible to a lack of contentment. Even in this perfect world created for them with everything they could need, the brokenness within them still allowed them to experience discontent. And so if Adam and Eve could experience discontent in this perfect garden, in this place of peace, in this place with minimal distractions, how much more are you and I susceptible to a discontent? It's hard. It's hard to be still and be content with what God has given us. How many of us, I know I fall in this category, I go to the store, I find something that I like, I try it on in the store, and then I get home and I realize, I don't like it. I don't want this. I'm taking it back. How many handbags, ladies, how many handbags do you have in your closet? I went so far as not only to have them in my closet, but then I put them in my attic so I could get more to put in my closet. How many sneakers, how many pairs of sneakers do you have? Some of you out there, you know I'm talking to you. And what about the phones? What about the phones? When you get your phone, this camera on my phone is the best thing ever. Six months later, why did I even buy this? This camera is not sufficient. It doesn't even work. I need a new camera. It's just built in us. We're always looking for the next thing. We're always hoping that when we get that next thing, that will be the thing that will keep me from needing the next thing. But of course, it's all an illusion. And the truth is, we really know it's an illusion. We know that. But that brokenness within us doesn't stop, and we continue to reach and to grasp. Now, some theologians say that the story of Adam and Eve is not so much about this idea of them taking the forbidden fruit. Some theologians would suggest that in this story, what God is really after is showing his sovereignty. And in his sovereignty, he wants to say to his people that I alone dictate what you eat and when you eat. And so the sin, if you will, is not so much about what they did, it's when they did it. Not so much what they did, but when they did it. Now, I'm not going to suggest this is the only interpretation of Scripture, that this is correct, and that this is what you must see when you look at this Scripture. But I do think this is a fascinating perspective, and I tell you why. 
I think this perspective hits on something that's near and dear to my heart and maybe perhaps to yours as well. This perspective would suggest that God is interested in us learning to wait on his timing. To wait on his timing. And I think that hits me because I hate to wait. I hate to wait. I want to do things now. I want things to happen now. And I want to see results now. So a simple example, this past week I had a meeting here at church and my husband also had an event that he was at here at church. And I knew that I would get out at least an hour before him. And so I didn't want to wait. I figured I'm going to get home earlier. I can do some things when I get home. At least I can eat. I can relax. And in fact, I got out an hour and 10 minutes before he did. So I thought, yes, I'm going to have the evening. I'm going to get home and get set. So I leave out of here, I'm heading to the subway, brisk pace, I'm getting there, I go downstairs, I'm waiting on the platform, and then you know what happened. I heard the recorded voice. The Jamaica-bound local train, blah, 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 blah. My train was not coming. I needed to go to the other side, and I needed to go towards Manhattan and then come back. You that take the subway, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the drill. So I went on the other side of the platform. I wait for my train. All I see are express trains whizzing past me, but I'm, okay, I'm going to be calm. I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient. My train finally comes. Hop on the train, I go forward to the next express stop, I go on the other side to get my train to go back past where I just came from. Takes a while, okay, I'm gonna wait and be patient. Train comes, doors open, jump on the train. Doors close, and the train felt like it was 90 degrees. It was suffocating, suffocating. I felt like I could barely breathe. I thought I was gonna pass out. And I'm standing by the doors just hoping for some inkling of air to come through the doors. I said, I can't, I just can't, I can't stay on this train. So as soon as I hit the next express stop, I jump off the train, I go up the stairs. At this point, I'm just done. And I look at my watch and I realize I should have just waited in the first place. I killed so much time. I created so much anxiety for myself and misery for myself because I didn't want to wait. And so this is the, this is the challenge of Adam and Eve as well. And when I know As I don't obey the voice of God and when I don't wait and I don't allow myself to just be patient with the process, I see myself, I envision myself on parallel paths with God. I'm on one side, he's on the other side, and I see him looking at me and I see myself looking at him. And when I see him looking at me, I feel my shame. I feel my embarrassment. I feel my failure. Because I don't see the face of God as he truly is. I see the face of God as a judge, as someone looking to condemn me. And of course, that's not his face. But because of my inner brokenness, that's what I see. And when I do see that, what do I do? Then I find ways to hide myself from him. I find ways to withdraw and to protect myself. 
And that's what Adam and Eve did. We know their story. We've all read this, and we know their story. We know what they did. We know how they hid. We know what they used. But the question is, what about us? What's your story? What's my story? I know when I'm in social settings and, um, you know, the first thing people usually ask you is, what do you do? Or they say, you know, something about yourself. And I usually say one thing when I'm really not comfortable and I'm feeling insecure. I don't tell people that I'm a pastor. I don't tell them that. I tell them I'm an attorney. And I tell them that because in my eye, in my hearing, in my mind, it feels to me more legitimate. It feels that it props me up and somehow makes me more acceptable in the world. And so I hide behind that. And you do too. We all do. We all use something to cover up. Maybe it's not your profession for you. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's your marital status. Maybe it's your country of origin. It can be anything. We will use anything to cover up. This past year, I've been taking a course on family systems theory. And family systems is uh, some of the, the, the basis of what we do here in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And one of the things that I learned in this course is there's a, a dynamic that happens with marital couples and their children. And it's actually very common. What happens is that parents, when there is anxiety in the relationship, which we all have as couples, sometimes parents begin to push that anxiety forward onto their child. Let me give you an example. What it looks like is, I need something from my spouse. I want intimacy. I want connection. But I'm afraid to ask for what I want. And so what I do is I find something that my spouse and I have in common that perhaps I know my child doesn't have in common with us. It could be a perspective, it could be a belief, it can be anything. And I begin to create an alliance here that will distance the child. And that way I cause a false sense of security and connection with my mate. Now, it doesn't solve my problem because, honestly, it's not intimacy, and that's really what I want. But what it does is it gives me a false sense of protection. I don't have to reveal my need. I don't have to reveal my hurt and my weakness. Instead, I get to focus on a third party. This is all unconscious. This is all subtle. We don't do it on purpose, but it's actually very, very common. One definition of a fig leaf is that it is something that hides something else, especially something that is dishonest or embarrassing. Again, one definition. A fig leaf is something that hides something else especially something that is dishonest or embarrassing. Adam and Eve, they just couldn't admit that what they had done, they couldn't admit it, they couldn't face it, they couldn't face the shame, and so they hid. 
Now, before you judge them, remember, we all use fig leaves. We use them all the time. We cover up our failures. We cover up our addictions. We cover up our weakness. We cover up our financial status. We cover up our marital status. The list goes on and on and on and on. About a year ago, I noticed something about myself. And for me, it, it, was, it was shameful. I realized that my hair was thinning. Now, some of you are listening and you're thinking, well, you know, it's not, you, you weren't dying. It's not a disease. It's not something that, that you couldn't prevent. And that is true. I don't want to over-dramatize it. But I will say this. In our culture, you don't hear much about women losing their hair. You hear a lot about men losing their hair. And we hear it so much that it can become funny. It can be a source of, of, of unity among guys that have lost their hair. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. It is something that they should be able to joke about and celebrate. But for women, that's not something you hear. You don't hear women joke about hair loss. It's not something that we do because in our culture, hair and women, that is associated together as a, a sign of your femininity. To have hair dictates how attractive you are and what your hair looks like dictates your value in society. And even in some churches, the, the scripture that's used about the woman, a woman's glory being her hair, that gets misused to say to women that you're not even allowed to cut your hair. And so when I realized this about myself, my first thought was, how am I going to hide this? That was my first thought. How am I going to hide this? How am I going to keep people from knowing what's happening to me? And then I, I can't say that there was a day that God spoke directly to me because that's not true. But I believe that he had been preparing me all this time. And I just woke up one day and I realized I didn't want to hide. I woke up one day and I realized I was not going to allow this external factor in my life to dictate everything about me. I woke up and I realized, for me, this is a sign of my aging. And I was going to accept that. And I was not going to live based on how I looked and how I appeared to others. That was a choice. That was a decision I had to make to search and see what my value was going to be. And for all of us, those days come. I decided I didn't need to hide. The reality is, each and every person listening to my voice right now, there's one thing you and I will always have in common. And that is, not one of you will next year say, I'm a year younger. Now, you may say it, but the fact is, it will not be true. Each and every one of us next year will be a year older. And for all of us, we're going to have challenges. What that looks like is up to the is individual. But I decided I'm not going to go into hiding. So what are you hiding behind? What are you hiding behind? 
Think about that for a moment. What are you hiding behind? Adam and Eve, they made a life-altering mistake. It is true. They changed human history for all time by their mistake. But the other truth is that Adam and Eve were human beings. And human beings make mistakes. We all make mistakes. You and I make mistakes. We have hurt people. We have disappointed people. And we will continue to hurt people. We will continue to disappoint people because it's part of our human condition. Not one of us is exempt. Some of our mistakes have changed our lives forever. Some of our mistakes we can't go back and we can't undo. And that's okay. Because I'm convinced that the biggest sin that Adam and Eve did was not to make a mistake. It's how they handled their mistake. Because they did what we normally do. They hid. And as you know, it will not take you a second to hide a mistake. If I trip on the sidewalk, I say, why didn't someone fix this sidewalk? If I'm late to work, I say, the traffic was terrible. You might say, the MTA, the trains are awful. If you're late to school, you might say, my mom didn't wake me up. We all hide. It's part of what we do to protect ourselves. The thing about a fig leaf is that it wasn't meant for clothing. The fig leaf is food. And God, if he wanted Adam and Eve to have clothing, I'm pretty sure he would have provided that as he provided everything they needed. But it shows you that when we feel shame, when we hide, it's because we will, we will take anything, we will use anything necessary, anyone and anything to hide our shame. Nothing is exempt. Nothing. But there is good news. There is good news. The good news is that God created us. He created us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what we are made of. He knows we make mistakes. He knew Adam and Eve would make mistakes. Our God does not get surprised by human frailty. He's not surprised. He's not shocked. And he is not repulsed by our human frailty. He knows his children like any good parent. He knows how you're crafted. He knows your tendencies. And he loves you every single day, 100%. Your mistakes do not change his level of love for you. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't say that men have sinned. It doesn't say that women have sinned. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all short of perfection. But Jesus 
He took all of our weakness. He took all of our failures. He took all of the shame. He strapped it onto himself and he crucified all sin and shame forever. Forever. There's no need for us to hide. He's done the work. He's secured our safety. He's secured our freedom for all time, for all history, on the cross of Calvary. There is no need to hide. Because Adam, the first man in the garden, he came and he made mistakes and he felt shame and he hid from God. And then Jesus comes back to a garden and he redeems mankind. And he says, there is no reason for you to hide. Because I have taken the shame, I have taken the sin, I have allowed myself to be separated from the Father for a second so that you will never have to be separated or forsaken, ever. It's the gift of a life in Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is freely admit our mistakes, freely admit our failures, stand naked before our loving and gracious Father and allow him to wrap us in his arms and comfort us. That's all we need to do. We no longer, I no longer, you no longer need to hide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious and loving God. We thank you, God, that what you have done for us, we could never have done for ourselves. We pray that you would teach us to receive the forgiveness that you have for us. Teach us what it means to be naked before you to see you gaze to our, into our eyes with eyes of love, that we would be set free and we would be made whole. In Jesus' name, amen. We're about to close our service. Um, and I'm just going to ask you to, to just open your hands because I want to pray uh, a special blessing over each and every one of us. And so look, if you're thinking, well, what, I, I just don't know how to get past this. What am I going to do this week? Again, this is a season of Lent. It's a beautiful time. Take some time every day. Sit before God. Just know that you're forgiven. Know that you have nothing to hide. Feel free to share with him your sorrow, your pain, your weakness. Allow him to look at you with the eyes of love that will heal your soul. So open your hands. Father God, I bless each and every person within the sound of my voice. I pray that as your healing, healing voice comes before them as they sit in your presence, they will see you as you truly are, a God of love, a God who's created them, a God who only desires goodness 
who has favor in all things, through all times, for all eternity, for each and every one of his children. I bless you in the strong, powerful, and loving name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. God bless you all. New Life at Home online worship experience. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us today. I just want to encourage you, if, if you've been following along and you're like, man, I really enjoyed this, share it with somebody. Invite somebody to church by just sending them a link to watch this video. You'll be able to watch it on our website. You can also, on Facebook, you'll be able to replay the entire service right now. Thank you again for joining us. Please be mindful of social media. We're going to be posting information about future services, future gatherings, either online or in person. You're definitely going to want to follow us on our website. We also have our coronavirus update page. It's newlife.nyc slash coronavirus. We want to make sure that we get you guys as much information as possible. Please, everybody, be blessed. Stay safe. Wash your hands. And we hope to see you soon. Thank you.